Hey everyone, before we kick off the show today, want to promote a guy that we had on on episode number two, former North Carolina basketball coach Matt Doherty. Just want to promote him and his new book, Rebound from Pain to Passion. And Coach Doherty, he was a great guest on this podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you have not gone back and listened to episode number two, just want you to go back and listen to that. Some exciting stuff on there with Coach Doherty talking about his playing and coaching days as well as his as well as his new book. And he's just a phenomenal man. And we've had some great guests on this show so far. In episode number one, we had Auburn Undercover's Nathan King. We had Matt Doherty on episode two. John Shipley from the Jaguars on episode three. Josh Pate from 247 Sports, host of The Late Kick on episode number four. And Mike Yuva from Watch Fox 57 in Columbia on episode number five. So if you have missed out on any of those episodes, make sure you go back and listen to those and make sure to get your copy of Rebound from Pain to Passion at amzn.to-3jbhcwe. And make sure to secure your copy of Rebound from Pain to Passion. It is time to kick off another episode of Crunch Time Plays. Roll the intro, and here we go. It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. All right, welcome in to another episode of Crunch Time Plays. This is episode number six, and I am so delighted to be joined by the guy I've been looking forward to having on since we started this show. He is the host of the Locked On the Gamecocks podcast. He is the cop father, Keith Allsett. What's up, brother? Hey, man. Great to be with you tonight. Uh, episode number six, we got a a crooked number there. That's good. And so hope all is all is well with uh, you and yours uh, uh, where you are. And um, we're just buckling down out here in Texas for some hot or for some cold weather the next few days. And uh, but it's all good. Yes, sir. We got a got a cold spell coming up and getting ready to have some Gamecock sports out there your way in Texas. Got a some women's basketball going to A and M end of end of this month, and you got a little college baseball, South Carolina going out to Texas there in the middle of March. So looking forward to that out there in Texas. Absolutely. Also, you got the NCAA women's tournament uh, will be in Austin, San Marcos, and then mostly in San Antonio, but. Um, you know, hopefully uh, Texas is good to Dawn Staley and the Gamecocks like it was in 2017. They came out here in December that year and beat Texas. And then the Final Four was in Dallas. And uh, I was there in American Airlines Arena and uh, watched the Gamecocks take down Stanford. Uh, what Saw the shot heard round the world. Uh, when uh, Morgan William 
hit the game winner in overtime to beat UConn and snap uh, like a 111-game win streak. And then watched uh, Asia Wilson absolutely dominate the national championship game. Yes, sir. Hopefully, uh, yeah, hope, like you said, hopefully some more great memories there for Don Staley in Texas. And I have no doubt that you're going to try to be there to see it. No doubt about that. All right. So we got some Gamecock talk here. We're going to start out with football. We'll talk about uh, Shane Beamer. Obviously, he gets hired to be the new head coach. And I know a lot of people weren't weren't so hot about that. A lot of people were. Just give me your thoughts on Shane Beamer and what you expect from him and how excited the fan base should be that he's here. Well, I mean, I mean, full disclosure, you know, as a, uh, as we've talked in the past, Shane Beamer would not have been my, you know, in my, probably in my top three, but he's our football coach. Okay. I love the Gamecocks. And so I'm on uh, the beam team. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, he's had, you know, he put together his staff and then, you know, Mike Bobo uh, basically tries to extort him and Beamer tells him, don't let the door hit you and, uh, you know, where the good Lord split you on the way out. And, uh, so him and Will Friend, uh, they didn't even, you know, their coffee didn't even get cold before they left. And Tracy Rocker left. And then, of course, Des Kitchings gets an NFL opportunity. Drew Hughes gets a chance to go uh, to Texas, which is probably should be one of the top five jobs in the country. And so, you know, he's had his share of ups and downs, but his staff is uh, complete now. I'm very high on a number of the members of the staff. I think he's handled everything. He's taken it all in stride. And I think he's got a lot of guys that kind of have something to prove. And I know he's got a chip on his shoulder. And I can promise you nobody is pulling more for Shane Beamer and the future of Gamecock football than I am. And so I'm fired up and ready to go. No doubt. Right, let's get into that staff. I know a lot of a lot of turnover on the staff. He he retains four guys from Coach Moshamp's staff. He retains Mike Bobo, Tracy Rocker, Des Kitchings, and Mike Peterson. And oddly enough, there's only one of them left now, and Mike Peterson. So a lot of turnover. Brian Harson comes in. Like you said, Mike Bobo tries to. I think he, you know, tried to get a raise there from Shane Beamer, and he said, I want guys that want to be here and don't let the door hit you on the way out. And then he obviously brings in Marcus Satterfield and Mike Bobo and Will Friend head off to Auburn. Just want to get a grade on the offensive staff here. So we got Marcus Satterfield, Montario Hardesty, Eric Kemry, Justin Stepp, Greg Atkins. What's your grade on the offensive staff? All right, so you want overall or individual grades here? Uh, let, let's do overall, and then if you want to touch on just a couple guys specifically. All right, so I'm going to give the offensive staff uh, a solid B grade. 
Uh, I think the headliners of the offensive staff is Justin Stepp. I think that's an A-plus hire. I don't think there's a better fit uh, for any position coach in America better than Justin Stepp as a wide receivers coach at the University of South Carolina. I think he uh, is passionate. He loves the University of South Carolina. He grew up going to games in Williams-Brice Stadium just like uh, you and I did. Um, It was his dream. He played there. He wasn't good enough. Um, But his parents are graduates of South Carolina. He is a great recruiter and a great wide receiver coach. And as we all know, uh, he is the complete opposite of Brian McClendon, who was not a good wide receivers coach and an abysmal evaluator of talent. So uh, definitely him and then Greg Atkins. I think very highly of Eric Walford. There's very few guys in America that I think would be an upgrade to Eric Walford, but I got to say, I think Greg Atkins is that guy, okay? He worked for Phil Fulmer at Tennessee, who was an offensive line coach. Then he went to Syracuse and worked for Doug Marone, who was an offensive line guru. He worked for Mike Gundy, the mullet, at Oklahoma State when they were basically Steve Spurrier West. They were throwing it all over the yard. He's coached in the National Football League. And then I love what they did at Marshall with the quarterback run game, uh, power run game, uh, inside zone, zone read. And so I really love him. Uh, Marcus Satterfield, you know, nobody had ever heard of him, I don't think. Uh, But the more you dig, the more you find out. I mean, if Joe Brady would have gotten a head coaching job in the National Football League, and honestly, the Houston Texans probably should have hired him. Instead, they hired a guy that Deshaun Watson's probably never heard of. Uh, not a not a quality move. Exactly. So, uh, but luckily for the for Shane Beamer, it, if Joe Brady had gotten a head job, Marcus Siderfield was going to be an offensive coordinator in the National Football League, either with Joe Brady or with the Carolina Panthers. I mean, if it's me, I'd rather coach Deshaun Watson than uh, you know whoever they got in Carolina. I so, definitely would. So, I mean, plus, I mean, let's face it, Matt Rule's one of the top offensive or top head coaches in football. He's hired Marcus Satterfield three times. I love Monterio Hardesty. Uh, Eric Kimry is a dear friend, friend of uh, my podcast, and he's a Gamecock, and I think he's going to do great things. So I'll probably – a lean, um, almost like right out of B plus level. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I know it's it's very tough. You know, you hate losing a guy like Des Kitchens, who obviously has great ties to the Carolinas. He's an outstanding running backs coach. Just look at what he did with Kevin Harris. And you know, I don't know. I mean, I think the only job he would have been interested in is is the exact job he got in Arthur Smith coming down and 
hiring him to go up I-20 to Atlanta. And I know that's a, a team that you love as the Falcons, and I know you you're you got to be excited there as a Falcons fan to have Des Kitchings on board there as the running backs coach. Yeah, I mean, there's only 32 running back coaches in the National Football League. That's 32 jobs. There's over 300 Division One running backs coaches. So, you know, you're in the top, you know, 1% of all of football, really. And, uh, you know, I said on my podcast, Bennett, it's not like he left to go to the Arizona Cardinals or the Minnesota Vikings. He's still close to home. He's in a great city uh, and a franchise that is hungry, you know, to win. And so I wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, I mean, I do too. I think I think it's a great find. I, I know I, I believe I tweeted this after he got hired. I said that it was a great find for Arthur Smith, but a terrible loss for Shane Beamer. But obviously, Monterio Hardesty comes in. I think he's a great running backs coach. I remember watching him play when he was at Tennessee, and he didn't have quite the success his first few years, but I know his senior year, he really went off. He had over a 1,000 yards rushing, ended up getting drafted by the Browns. And when you got a guy, I know it's hard, as Coach Beamer's been talking about in his press conferences, you got running backs in the room that are on their third running backs coach in less than a year, but I would not, if I were Shane Boomer, I definitely would not want anybody other than Monterio Hardesty to be coaching my running backs. Yeah, I mean, Bennett, I really think this guy is a rising star. Like, to me, he's a young Jay Graham. He's a young Robert Gillespie, a young Thomas Brown, a young Des Kitchens. I think he's that going to be that level of recruiter. Uh, you know, he's got the it factor. He's got the charisma. He's got the work ethic. And, you know, when you listen to the press conference, uh, he's always known coaching was going to be uh, his vocation. And so I, I think it's a great fit. I think he helps South Carolina in the all-important state of North Carolina, being a Newburn, North Carolina native, really being able to leverage some relationships in Eastern North Carolina, I think will be critical uh, in recruiting for Shane Beamer and this staff. Yeah, I definitely do as well. And um, just wanted to get your thoughts real quick. I know before we move to the defensive staff about specifically about Marcus Satterfield and him being kind of Joe Brady adjacent. And he's been with Joe Brady with the Panthers for the past year. Matt Rules obviously hired him three times. And we're going to find out a lot about – I know you said you were surprised that Joe Brady did not get the Texans head coaching job. And I was kind of surprised myself, or I was very surprised that Eric Bieniemy didn't get serious consideration for that job. But we're going to find out a lot about who Joe Brady is as a coach because he's already had some fruit plucked from his tree and Marcus Satterfield and then obviously Coach O over in Baton Rouge hires Jake Peets and D.J. Mangus to be his offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and passing game coordinator. Yep, so here's a little uh, 
tidbit for for your audience. Um, Joe Brady wanted Shane Beamer to hire DJ Mangus. That was the guy he really uh, pushed first. And, of course, Beamer had the relationship with Marcus Satterfield. And so that's kind of, you know, the way that went down. And also at that time, it looked like Mike Bobo was going to be staying as well. But remember that name, DJ Mangus. Uh, that was, you know, Joe Brady's right-hand man at LSU and uh, with the Panthers this past season. And now he's going back to LSU, so it'll be uh, very interesting to follow. As far as Marcus Siderfield, you know, I, I, I have a really good source on that, and I've heard, you know, the, the staff is really excited about what they're going to do on offense, uh, kind of pairing uh, what Shane Beamer likes most about Lincoln Riley's system and looking at the players available, what they can incorporate to go with, you know, a lot of the Joe Brady uh, passing game concepts. So, you know, I mean, obviously, Bennett, if you don't have a guy that can really – make it happen at quarterback and you don't have uh, playmakers at wide receiver. I mean, hell, I think Brian McClendon could have dialed up great plays uh, at LSU in 2019 with all of those dudes. I mean, that's kind of like fishing with dynamite. It's not even fair. (laughs) um, You know, spring practice should be interesting uh, for sure. We're going to get into that quarterback conversation here when we get into the transfer fines, when we talk about Jason Brown here in just a few minutes. But talk about Eric Camry real quick and how I know he's obviously fired up. He's played quarterback in South Carolina. He's a Gamecock. A hashtag forever to thee if you have not been following the news on Twitter. And as a proud Gamecock alums, I know both of us, Hashtag forever to be on that. But then just talk about Eric Camry and how do you think his coaching ability um, translates to the college game from the high school game? Well, I think Eric Camry is a high-level thinker. I think higher-level thinking skills, I think it'll be a seamless transition for him. I, I really don't think there's – going to be much of anything that's going to be brought up to him that is just going to be totally foreign to him. He'll be like, oh, wow. Yeah, I can see how that, you know, fits with this. Uh, I just think, number one, he's a quarterback guru. He he played the position all his life. And quite frankly, the only reason Will Muschamp would not hire him to be on his staff at South Carolina is because he didn't want to take him away from developing his sons as quarterbacks. And, um, you know, I think he'll adapt well as as the tight ends coach because of his uh, quarterback background. I think it'll be easy to teach route concepts because he can let them know from a quarterback's perspective what the quarterback's going to be looking at 
and you know where they need to get their their eyes where they need to get their head around uh and why you know they have to make a, cu- a cut at a precise number of yards i mean he's a very detailed teacher and i think the sky's the limit for him i would not be surprised if in you know, three years if Marcus Satterfield is back with the Panthers or is with Joe Brady somewhere, I would not be a bit surprised if Eric Kimry's not ready to become a quarterback's coach and coordinator in the SEC. Yeah, I agree. I think if you give Coach Kimry a couple years to – as much as he already knows the, the landscape of the college game, I mean, I agree. I think he could definitely be the offensive coordinator – for Shane Beamer here in a few years, if Marcus Satterfield does decide to, you know, go back to the NFL, wherever Joe Brady is. Going over to the defensive staff now, Keith, we've got Jimmy Lindsey, Mike Peterson, Torian Gray, and then obviously defensive coordinator Clayton White. What's your grade on the defensive staff? I'm going to go A- minus on the defensive staff uh, because – Clayton White is a riser. He had opportunities to go to Michigan and Oregon. He turned those down to come to South Carolina. He, uh, his four years at Western Kentucky, three of those four years, he was a Broyles Award nominee as the top assistant coach in the country. Um, he's from North Carolina, he played at NC State, he's coached at NC State, he's recruited, and is another guy that can help in North Carolina. Uh, Also, I think Carolina fans uh, long for the return of the uh, 4-2-5 defense, and I think he'll have a college defense, not an NFL complex defense. Um. But you got to have players. I mean, it's like Ellis Johnson always says, the SEC is a player's league because there's a lot of great coaches. But you got to have players and guys that can make plays. And so, you know, I love the defensive staff. Um, You know, it's a big step up for Jimmy Lindsey. But I've heard really good things about him as a teacher. and a guy that can get the most out of his players. Uh, You know, if there's one guy on that defensive staff you wanted to keep, it was Mike Peterson. Quite frankly, he's the only guy. Um, I don't think losing uh, Tracy Rocker is a huge loss. Uh, His son's getting ready to be worth about $150 million, uh, and I don't know, you know, where his give-a-damn level is is – head ball coach used to say. Uh, but these guys are hungry. I mean, obviously, the the star of the group is Torian Gray, uh, a big-time upgrade over Travaris Robinson as a coach, as an evaluator, and as a developer. I mean, it's easy to take first-round talent and make them first-rounders, okay? It's another thing to take guys that you beat James Madison for and turn them into 10-year NFL guys that are wearing Super Bowl rings uh, like Cam Chancellor is for the Seattle Seahawks. So I love Torian Gray. To me, he's the star of the defensive staff. 
But, man, I love Mike Peterson. I do not know why an NFL team like the Jaguars and Urban Meyer or the Falcons uh, have not hired Mike Peterson. You know, Ben, I kind of find it ironic that the one guy that Will Muschamp hired on his initial staff and the only place he's ever coached football, he coached Will Muschamp for five years, and that's the guy that's there. All the other guys, Des Kitchens, Mike Bobo, one year, right? Those are going to be the only other ones. So, um you know, Rocker was a one-year guy. And, you know, as we said, Will Friend, his coffee uh, didn't even get cold before he was out the door. So uh, I love Mike Peterson. I think he has a, a, the respect of a lot of players on that team and particularly on the defensive side of the football. And probably helps he's got a great relationship with uh, Jordan Birch and – J.J. and Ibarre as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree about Jordan Burch. And then, yeah, I don't like you. I mean, I don't I don't really understand why uh, Urban Meyer didn't go after Mike Peterson. I don't understand why Arthur Smith didn't go after Mike Peterson. Of course, I kind of find it ironic that at, between Mike Peterson and Charlie Strong, Urban Meyer chose Charlie Strong over Mike Peterson. <laughs> That was kind of fun. I mean, Chuck, you know, Chuck's, Chuck's his guy. I mean, uh, that was his coordinator at Florida, won national championships together. And, I mean, that's his guy. You know, I mean, look, for a lot of those guys, it's always they hire who they know, who they're most comfortable with. And I'm interested to see, you know, Charlie Strong now coaching defense at the highest level, what he can do after being a head coach for so long. So uh, I'm really interested to see that. Um, you know, Jacksonville cut Leonard Fournette, and now he's got a Super Bowl ring. So, uh, you know, go figure. Yeah, we'll, probably, we'll get into the Jaguars uh, draft here in a minute. We've got a couple of fun things here at the end. We'll talk about the Falcons draft prospects, and then we'll get into the Boston Celtics a little bit here at the end. I wrote these down. But uh, just going to the transfer portal now, obviously there's a lot of needs for Shane Beamer. There's wide receiver needs. There was defensive back needs. Just kind of talk about a couple of those guys that South Carolina got just – Wide receiver Marion Brown, and then obviously in just a minute we'll talk about J- we'll talk about Jason Brown, and then EJ Jenkins from St. Francis, and then Jordan Strong on the defensive side of the ball from Georgia State, leading the FBS in sacks last year. All right, so to me, uh, you know, Amarian Brown was a big time pickup a guy that's a legit 10 400 meters guy and sub 4-4. He's a little on the small side, listed 5'9", 165 on the roster. I'd really like to see him get about 175 uh, to 180. But he's a guy, Bennett, as a freshman, he matched and surpassed uh, Megatron's 
freshman records at Georgia Tech, and I think he was catching passes from Joe Hamilton. So, um, you know, South Carolina needs all the help they can get at the wide receiver position, just like I need all the help I can get in the, in the hair department because I don't have any. So, um, you know, I think that's a big pickup. And then, you know, for me, E.J. Jenkins is the most intriguing guy. Six, seven, and three quarters, 242 pounds. And the guy runs a four, five, five without even warming up. So, um, you know, I'm anxious to see, is he a Kyle Pitts? type guy can he be that kind of guy in the sec and then uh jordan strong from georgia state an interesting story is 185 pound walk-on they get him up to 220 225 he leads fbs in sacks not just his his league okay he, he led the nation in sacks And Shane Beamer said yesterday the kid's gained 20 pounds of good weight just since he's been on campus. So he's pushing now 240, 245 pounds. Um, That kind of changes my thinking on him because I thought he would probably be just a, a DPR, a designated pass rusher that would come in on pass rush downs. But, you know, 6'4", you get him to 250, 255, you know, he could be more of an every down player and a guy that could be a more of a rotational player. You know, but I mean, there's going to be stiff competition because you've got, you know, not Aaron Sterling but and J.J. Anikbare, but you've got, you know, uh, Tonka Hemingway and Jordan Birch. Uh, and, you know, let's not forget about Gilbert Edmond as well. I think that guy is a, a candidate for one of the breakout players. And uh, a guy similar to Jordan Strong, who was a wide receiver, and uh, they moved into defense. He was six three and a half, two fifteen. 215. Then he, he shows up in June, he's 6'5", 230 pounds. So, uh, you know, both of these guys have elite speed. They have, you know, elite athleticism. And so let's see what Mike P can get out of those guys. Yeah, I took the words right out of my mouth on E.J. Jenkins. I want to see if he is the Kyle Pitts type player. Obviously, Kyle Pitts is probably going to be a top 15 pick uh, in late April. And whoever gets him is going to find a, a great target for the red zone. I'm kind of curious to see what EJ Jenkins will do in that department. And then just sticking with uh, re- recruiting a little bit, and then we'll get into the, the quarterback battle here coming up in the spring before we move on to basketball. But what have you heard about what Shane Beamer's planning on doing with that 25th scholarship for this class? Well, I mean, I don't think there's anything imminent he said as much yesterday. I'm hearing they would really like to find a guy that could come in and either start right away or 
at least be in the rotation at safety right away. That's probably the thinnest spot on the roster. Um, obviously, during spring practice, they'll evaluate some guys. You've got Isaiah Norris, the junior college kid coming in who has played safety at uh, New Mexico military. He's going to play corner at Georgia military this spring. Where does he fit in? Um you know, but I also would not be a bit surprised if, you know, they can find enough, you know, depending on how they feel about the depth of the wide receiver room or the linebacker room, uh, you know, adding another uh, quality guy that can step in and play right away. I mean, this roster has got some holes. I mean, you lost your in my opinion, your four most talented defensive backs, two are leaving early for the NFL. And then, you know, Johnny Dixon is probably behind J.C. Horn, the best cornerback on the team. He's gone. And then Jamie Robinson's gone. And Ernest Jones is gone. So, I mean, you're losing a lot of guys. And let's face it, outside of Ernest Jones – because of injuries, we really don't know what some of these other guys can do. We don't know what Jamar Brown can do. We don't know what Sherrod Green can do. I'm still waiting on Rosendo Lewis. You know, Mo Caba was a true freshman. Debo Williams, another transfer, a guy that has really caught the eye of the coaches as far as work ethic and explosiveness in the weight room. So, uh, it's going to be a big spring. I think you may w- see this drag out until after spring that they can evaluate the roster and use that spot to fill the, the, the position on the roster where they still feel like they've got to have another guy. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, we talk about the four defensive backs. You've got – J.C. Horn obviously leaves to go to the NFL, which I had um, John Shipley of Jaguar Report on a few episodes ago, and we talked about J.C. Horn uh, to the Jaguars at 25, and I think it'll be between him and Patrick Sertain to see who the the first corner taken in the NFL draft in April, and Caleb Farley as well from Virginia Tech. And then, obviously, you have Israel Mukwamu out, uh, who – thinks he's a first-round pick in his mind after that three-interception game against Georgia in 2019. And then, obviously, John Dixon heads to Happy Valley for play for James Franklin and Jamie Robinson to Tallahassee to play for Mike Norvell. Moving back over to the offensive side of the ball now, we talk about the quarterback battle in the spring. Obviously, Jason Brown comes in. He's the tandem with E.J. Jenkins. You have Luke Doty. Started the last three games of the year in 2020. And then Colton Gothier, the freshman, brand new offense, brand new scheme, a fresh start for Luke Doty, a fresh start for Jason Brown and Colton Gothier. So what do you see as far as the quarterback battle and who the starting quarterback will be against Eastern Illinois on September the 4th? Well, Bennett, I mean, I think it's going to be an open competition. Um you know, Luke Doty, he got some experience towards the end of the year. 
you know, more playmakers around him will make him a better player, as will the experience. The thing is, you know, he's on another offensive coordinator now. You know, when he committed to South Carolina, Dan Werner was going to be the quarterback's coach. Brian McClendon was the offensive coordinator. He was already learning their stuff. Then, you know, Werner gets fired. McClendon gets demoted. They bring in Bobo. They split time with him between wide receiver and quarterback. And, you know, now Marcus Satterfield's going to come in and run a different system. The good news is it's not going to be as complex. It's not going to be as demanding uh, with as many checks at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and then you've got Jason Brown, who threw for over 3,000 yards and 28 touchdowns last year, who's played three years of college football. And so if I was handicapping it, I would say slight advantage to Brown simply because of the experience factor. Uh, but Luke Doty, you know, he's got the work ethic. He's got the leadership skills. He's got the legs. And he's got the football IQ to be a great player. It's just going to be a matter of when, you know, he's ready to take that thing over. But the the bottom line is, is it will be a competition. And that's something that there just really hadn't been a lot of at South Carolina. Uh, You know, two guys that legitimately could win the job. So, We'll see how it plays out. Uh, you know, sitting here six weeks before spring practice starts, I'd probably say slight advantage to Jason Brown simply because of the E.J. Jenkins connection and because he's played three years of college football. Yeah, I agree. I, I tend to lean towards Jason Brown myself. I mean, already talking about, you know, I've heard, and I know you have too, NFL scouts yeah. talking about his – prospectiveness for the 2022 NFL draft. So that's kind of baffling to hear, but he has, he has played three years of college football. And then last thing on football before we move to basketball, obviously the schedule is pretty favorable to open 2021. You got Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, Georgia, Kentucky, Troy, and then at Tennessee. I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to, think that this team could be five or six and one by the open date and then of course it gets tougher in the back in the back half of the schedule but I mean obviously the first half and that's good for Shane Beamer the being the first year head coach the first half of the schedule sets up pretty well yeah I mean look Bennett I mean we we're all pulling for the Gamecocks, but if you're not at least four and two uh, at the midway point or five and one, you're, you're not, not going bowling. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, anything can happen, right? Like Florida's losing a ton of guys. They're losing the, the Kyle brothers, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask. Uh, some of those other guys are leaving. Emory Jones does not exactly light it up in the in the passing game. And so this is going to be a big challenge 
You know, uh, Brian Johnson's gone to the NFL. Somebody else is going to be working with the quarterbacks for Florida. You know, Texas A&M, they're going to have a new quarterback. Uh, Injuries can happen. But uh, in my opinion, if you're a Gamecock, you got to hope you're no worse than four and two uh, at the midway point of the season. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I know, like you said, four and two, I think that's really the only way you even have a chance to go to a bowl games if you start out four and two. All right, moving over to basketball. Just got one question for you on men's basketball and one then one question for you on women's basketball. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Frank Martin. Uh, he's had COVID twice. I don't really think basketball's at the forefront of his mind. He's obviously lost some friends from COVID, and then obviously over the weekend losing Pedro Gomez, his dear friend from Miami. I, I don't really think basketball is at the forefront of his mind right now. I know I had Mike Yuba on last episode, and he basically said the same thing, that Frank Martin deserves a pass for this year. Where do you stand on that? Well, I mean, you know, it it all depends on what day of the week you ask me. I mean, uh, I mean, this season has been such a yo-yo. Start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. Now the last eight games, it's been good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, right? I mean, you go back to the LSU game, they played great. Uh, They hadn't played in a couple weeks. They kind of lost their legs and had some late game execution stuff. Then Frank Martin comes back and Missouri's up like, you know, 16 to four and just blew Carolina out. Then the Gamecocks come back home. They played great against Georgia. I mean, they they blew them out. They were up by over 30, and Frank cleared the bench. Then you go to Vanderbilt and face the worst team in the SEC, a, a team that had not won a game in the league, and you surrender 52 points in the first half, and they score a season-high 92 points and blow you out again, just like the last game of the regular season last year. What's up with that? Then you go to Florida, and you knock off the hottest team in the league. How how does that happen? Then you play Mississippi State, and you're favored against them two-and-a-half points, just like you were against Auburn. Same result, blowout loss. And then you square off against the number 11 team in the country and you stand toe-to-toe in the middle of the ring and just uh, swap haymakers for 40 minutes. And then you get down to the last play, you call timeout and draw up a play. And you and, – and so part of this is on the, on the players – But if I'm Frank Martin, why am I having the most distracted and the most unfocused player on my roster this year, Jermaine Cousinard, throwing the ball in? Okay, he's got 
family issues back home with COVID. His play has suffered tremendously. The guy can't buy an outside shot. All right, we're going to have him throw it in. No, dude, have Justin Mania throw it in. And you got to have a three. They draw up a play for a three. Alabama surrounds the three-point line, so he just tosses it in to Justin Mania, who was probably as shocked as I was. He caught it. He laid it in. And everybody else is trying to run a play for the three, and all of a sudden they got to play defense. And they just threw it right in, and Keyshawn Bryan had to foul, and the game was over. It's kind of a microcosm of their season. And, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not like this team has four or five new players, okay? All these guys have been in the program. A.J. Lawson, Cousinard, uh, T.J. Moss, Manaya, four years. Those other guys I just mentioned, three years. Levesque, McCrary, two years. Seventh Woods, two years. I mean, I'll say this for Seventh Woods. Okay, I was very critical of his play. But ever since Frank Martin came out and defended him publicly and said, hey, I'm not taking this guy out of the starting lineup because nobody's ever believed in him. He went to North Carolina. Every time he made a mistake, they yanked him out. Well, I mean, Frank, that's like almost every player you've coached for nine years, okay, particularly as freshmen. P.J. Dozier. Every time that dude made a mistake, hell, he'd take a shot and he'd turn around and look at the bench to see if he was coming out and not even watch the ball go through the net. But Frank is sticking with this guy, and I think that was finally what it took for Seventh Woods to figure out, hey, this guy really believes in me, and I think it's relaxed him and he's gone out and play. I mean, players are weird. Okay, as a former basketball coach, guys would be like, Coach, man, I just don't have any confidence. I don't think you got any confidence in me. I'm like, Well, are you playing? Well, yeah, coach, I'm playing. Are you starting? Well, yeah, coach, I'm starting. I'm like, Okay, that means I have confidence in you. All right, I'm going to tell you when you need to lose confidence is when your butt is numb from sitting on the bench next to me the whole game. That's when you need to have a confidence problem. And so I think that finally clicked in for Seventh Woods in the last three games. He's scored double digits. Uh, He's had a great assist to turnover ratio. He's drawing charges. And, you know, if he can get you 10 points and not kill you with turnovers and play 20 minutes of solid basketball, I think that's, you know, a great year from Sabbath Woods. And so I don't know what the answer is. Um, I just really don't think it's going to get any better. I mean, will it get worse if Frank leaves? Because you'll probably have some guys hit the portal. Yeah, but if you hire the, the right guy, like if you go hire Rick Patino, all right, whoa, 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 hold up. Rick Patino's coming? Oh, man, that dude, he's coaching the NBA. He coached Paul Pierce. He's coached a ton of guys that's going to the league. Maybe I need to hang loose here. Okay, so, 
Would Rick Pitino leave Iona to come to South Carolina? You bet. York skinny minute, okay? Does Ray Tanner have the cojones to pull the trigger on that hire? That's what I want to know. In my opinion, the answer is no. But, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, if, if you're if you're telling me well, we're hiring the Furman guy, I mean, that doesn't really move the needle for me. I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Bob Ritchie, but Bob Ritchie's never had to go recruit against uh, LSU, okay, in their benefits package, or Clemson in their benefits package. Uh, that they're bringing over from football to basketball now, or against Calipari, or Mike White, or Shashevsky, or Roy Williams, who when there's a great player, they're coming into South Carolina to get them. So, you know, I don't know. I think there's a learning curve there. But if you could go get, you know, an established guy that, you know, could get it done, then – I say let's make the move. If not, then you might as well let Frank run it back. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I don't I don't really know what the answer is myself. I mean, I know people have talked about Bob Ritchie and I like Bob Ritchie. I mean, I think he's done a great job at Furman, but like you said, he's never he's never coached or recruited against anybody in the SEC. And I will say one thing about the SEC. The SEC gets not every year for being a terrible basketball league. It is one of the best basketball leagues. The coaches in the SEC, top to bottom, are better than any conference in the country. I mean, just in this. I think they're up there. I mean, for me, I would go ACC one. Uh, and then SEC, too. But, um, you know, when you start throwing around Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, Bayheim, my man that's at Louisville that came from Xavier is a great coach. I mean, that that league is, uh, you know, uh, Tony Bennett at Virginia. I mean, there's a lot of national championship coaches in that league, but – you know, look at the guys that have come in the SEC, Rick Barnes, Nate Oates, Mike White. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, the guy at LSU is a crook. I don't know what they're waiting on there. I mean, the guy's on tape, okay? They've got him on tape. Why is he still coaching? Bruce Pearl? I mean, we all know what's going on there. Um, So, you know, I mean, Buzz Williams at Texas A&M. I mean, the SEC, and and here's the thing. All those guys that I've just mentioned, they've all come in after Frank Martin. Their programs are all better than South Carolina's right now. And so – No doubt about it. For me, I said this on my podcast – In 1975, probably before you were born, the NCAA tournament expanded, not to 64 teams, but from 16 to 32 teams. 
since 1975, no coach has coached nine years in the Southeastern Conference with only one NCAA tournament appearance. And so at five and eight and three and six, I don't see him making it again this year. And so, you know, I, I struggle with it. Uh, but at some point, the rubber's going to have to meet the road. I mean, look, there's only one Sundarius Thornwell, okay? You can't keep trying to reinvent that wheel. Uh, that was just a magical team and a magical run. And A.J. Lawson's leaving. Seventh Woods is leaving. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, you know, with the – large situation if he doesn't look to transfer back close to home. I mean, you could, Frank Martin could be looking at a rebuild. I mean, if something like that happens, then I'm going ahead and cutting the cord and just let the chips fall where they may. And like I said, I'm trying to get Rick Patino. I'm trying to get, um, you know, Anthony Grant, uh, Wojciechowski, I'm trying to get somebody. Hell, I'm going to. I'm. I'm trying to get my guy Mick Cronin from UCLA. So, um, you know, I'm going. I'm. I'm. I'm on a shark. Okay, the SEC. The waters are dangerous. Okay, there's sharks and piranhas in the water. Don't don't throw a brim or a catfish in there. You need a shark. Okay, I want a shark. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. If you if you can hire Rick Patino, that fits the the Hall of Fame mold, similar to Steve Spurrier. Obviously, Steve Wojciechowski's a great coach. Anthony Grant, best friends with Frank Martin. And then, yeah, I love Mick Cron. I love Mick Cronin. He did a great job at Cincinnati, out at UCLA, now doing a great job out there. And that's not a that's not a you know, that's not an easy place to win at out there at UCLA. And he, he's doing this. He's doing a great job. Switching gears to women's basketball, one quick – got a quick question for you. And if you don't don't know this, Keith has started a new venture this year. He's writing about women's basketball for thebigspur.com. And so if you have not seen his articles on thebigspur.com about women's basketball, make sure to check those out. Is South Carolina and Don Staley cutting down the nets in San Antonio, Keith? I mean, I don't know. Um, some games, I look at them, and I think, yes, they can win it all. I look at them other games, and I just think they're just missing something. And it's hard to put your finger on, but – it's probably Ty Harris and Kiki Herbert Harrigan. Um, I just think Ty Harris was a big guard. I mean, she was almost 5'11", okay? When South Carolina won the national championship, you had her, you had Alicia Gray, who's 6'1", Kayla Davis, who's 6'2", and for most of that season, you had Coates and Wilson, Um 
Then you had Herbert Harrigan, who's 6'2", and Donye Kleine, who's 6'1", off the bench. So they were really long. I thought UConn's length really bothered South Carolina's smaller backcourt, Zia Cooks. They list her at 5'9", maybe she's 5'8", maybe she's 5'9". Destiny Henderson's, you know, 5'6 and a half or 5'7". You know, and Bennett, they only hit, they they missed 27 point-blank range shots, 18 for 45 from right at the basket. And... You know, when also when your starting point guard turns it over eight times and shoots one for five from the free throw line and you still go to overtime at Connecticut, you're doing something right. But as poorly as they played, they had every opportunity in the world to win that game, make one more layup, make two, one more free throw, Hey, Destiny Henderson, go two for five from the free throw line and you win by one point. And so this team is very talented. Uh, They're not as deep, uh, you know, as they were last year. Uh, I don't think they have the leadership that they had last year. I think this team is probably a year away, but I'm going to say this right here. If South Carolina wins it this year, uh, there's getting ready to be a run of na- on the national championship because you've got another number one recruiting class coming in with four of the top 14 players and three of the top four players, according to ESPN, in the class of 2021. Uh, you've got a, the, a great point guard, you got, for my money, you know, Sonia Rivers is every bit, uh, to me, the number one player in AZ Fudd. And then you've got a six-foot-four uh, forward who can rip the ball down, dribble coast-to-coast, shoot threes, block shots, and do it all, um, you know, in, in Sonia Fagan and – you know, you got uh, Bree Hall from Ohio, who uh, is a big-time three-point shooter. So, I don't know if it'll be this year, but I definitely foresee more national championships in Don Staley's future at South Carolina. Yeah, I agree. If it's not this year with that recruiting class coming in, there's about to be a run, and South Carolina on the way to being the being on a UConn type run. All right, so that's done with the Gamecocks. Want to move into a few other things before I let you go. Real quick, I want to get your thoughts on Josh Heupel at Tennessee, Brian Harson at Auburn, and Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. All right, so let's go with Sark the Shark. Uh, number one, I think this is my number one hire of the offseason, Steve Sarkeesian uh, at Texas. I think uh, he is going to elevate the stature of that program. 
you know, uh, uh, Quinn Evers, the number one quarterback in the country, was committed to Texas under Tom Herman, then decommitted, then committed to Ohio State. Uh, you know, I will not be a bit surprised if uh, Sark and those guys don't get him back in the boat on the 40 acres. Uh, Harson, I would rate as uh, of the three as the number two hire. Um, you know, Auburn, only at, only at Auburn can you give a guy a huge contract and then fire him two years later and, you know, pay him like $20 million to not coach and, you know, have the most dysfunctional coaching search and then still wind up making a great hire in Brian Harson. Harson uh, was left Boise as an OC to come to Texas with Mike Brown. Uh, when Chris Peterson left to go to Washington, he went back, took that job, uh, did a great job. He's an innovative offensive mind. Uh, he's got, you know, big time head coaching experience in the Mountain West. And, you know, I think he's quietly putting together a good staff. I mean, he did scuttle, you know, most of those guys that they wanted everybody else to keep. Uh, Rodney Garner, obviously Kevin Steele. I mean, hell, I'd just like to be Kevin Steele for two weeks and get paid a million dollars to not, you know, to live in a hotel for two weeks in Knoxville. That'd be a pretty good gig. Um you know, I think Harson's put together a pretty good staff, but uh, not keeping Travis Williams, in my opinion, that was a big mistake. Uh, T. Will is an Auburn guy. Uh, he bleeds, uh, you know, the blue and orange. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that was a mistake. I've never been sold on Hypel. I just don't like fat ex-quarterbacks, you know. I just don't like guys that are quarterbacks and then they look like offensive tackles. I don't, you know, where's the self-discipline? I mean, you used to weigh 180, now you weigh 280. What's up with that? Especially when you're around world-class facilities and nutritionists and strength coaches. So... Uh, I mean, look, he did an excellent job at Central Florida, but I mean, hey, he might as well have been standing there when they rolled a Ferrari off the assembly line and uh, Frosty got out of it and tossed him the keys. I mean, the thing was built down there. He just had to not screw it up. And so we'll see. Um, you know, Tennessee's going to be under uh, a lot of scrutiny. Probably not going to be any more uh, uh, Mickey D's bags uh, with uh, – uh, double quarter pounders wrapped in $100 bills in there. So, you know, we'll see. They're losing a lot of players to the portal. They're going to get hit with sanctions, uh, probably restrictions on recruiting. And uh, it's just a, it's a different level, okay, than the American conference, okay, where you got six or seven cream puffs. 
You don't get that in the SEC. I mean, Tennessee, they get to schedule out of conference because Vanderbilt's their in-conference rival, but they also get Alabama every year. So good luck with that the third week in October. So I think, honestly, you know that meme of the the dumpster fire floating down the, the stream? I think if you just superimpose Neyland Stadium in the background and put a big orange T on the dumpster, it'd be just floating down the Tennessee River right past Neyland Stadium. <laughs> no doubt about it. I, one of the questions I have about Hypo is, obviously at UCF, like, he's used to running high-octane offense, Offenses from, you know, the year 2035, 2040. And their defense was on the field a lot uh, at UCF in that game, in those games that they played down there in Orlando. And I don't I don't know if if he can do that at Tennessee. I think that'll be an adjustment for him. I agree with you. All right. I got two more things for you. A couple more fun items. And then I'll let you go. Want to get your thoughts on the Celtics this year? Obviously, they're having a decent year so far, and just want to get your thoughts on them. And are they going to make the playoffs this year? And what kind of a run do you think they'll have? I mean, I think it's hard to gauge right now, right? Kimball Walker, um, you know, had the knee. He missed the first part of the season. They've been slowly reintegrating him, the lineup. Then uh, uh, Marcus Smart gets hurt, uh, calf strain. Now he's down. Jason Tatum was down. Jalen Brown was injured. And so, you know, they Tristan Thompson came in from Cleveland. Uh, he was injured, really didn't have much of a training camp. And so I don't think we're going to really know you know, what the potential of the Celtics team is until after the All-Star break. Um, I do like Tristan Thompson. I said last year, you're never going to win an NBA championship with Daniel Tice in the starting lineup. That's not happening. Um, You know, that Tristan Thompson is a guy that's anchored defensively. He's a bigger body. Uh, Tice can come off the bench. They can maybe play them together for stretches. I do like um, Peyton Pritchard. He was playing extremely well. Then he got injured and missed some games. So, you know, uh, Antoine Naismith, the South Carolina native from Porter Goud in Charleston, was the top shooter in the draft. Uh, You know, when Tatum was out, he got some time. He's probably a year away. Grant Williams is much improved. Uh, he's knocking down some threes now. And so uh, uh, Shimmy Ojale, uh is playing better this year. So I think they're going to have a deep team. And they've got the, the stars in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But it's just going to be how healthy can they stay and, you know, Kimber Walker was kind of a liability uh, later in the playoffs because of his size. And, you know, they still got uh, three more years of that contract. 
And uh, I don't see, you know, teams wanting to trade uh, for a six-foot guard that's, you know, over 30 with knee issues. So it's going to be interesting to see. But um, I think they've got their young core of players. They've got role players. And they have two budding superstars in in uh, the J, uh, the Jays, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So uh, uh, they're probably one more free agent acquisition away uh, from really being a perennial championship contender. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy watching the Celtics play. I mean, I love watching Jason Tatum play. He's obviously a, a star in the game, and Jalen Brown is as well. I can't think about when I watch Grant Williams play with the Celtics, I just think about what a number Rick Barnes did on him at Tennessee. Rick Barnes is such an excellent basketball coach, and I really enjoy watching Grant Williams play and Peyton Pritchard from Oregon. I really enjoy watching him play as well, hitting those threes. Yeah, I mean, they they got good young players. Uh, Grant Williams, I thought, was a great acquisition. He kind of struggled last year as a rookie um, because that three-point line's longer, and that's never really been his game. But he's really worked on his game, and you can tell he's put in the time. And I think uh, going through a, you know, full season this year, and then, you know, next year, I think he'll take another jump. And uh, that guy's probably got the highest basketball IQ on the Celtics. He's uh, physical. They can play him, you know, as a small ball five or, you know, uh, play him with uh, the Time Lord, uh, Robert Williams or Tristan Thompson. So I just want to see everybody get healthy and all get on the same page together. And I think Boston um, could come out of the East. You know, the bad news is they got nobody that's matching up with, uh, you know, Anthony, uh, you know, the unibrow with the Lakers. So, I mean, you know, not to mention you got LeBron, but you got to deal with the unibrow. I mean, Anthony Davis, that was a guy Danny Ainge acquired asset after asset after asset trying to build up enough to trade for him. And then he says, well, no, I'm just going to go to the Lakers. So. No doubt. If you get there, all right, you never know what can happen. Right? Like, uh, Golden State was up three games to one. And uh, my man from Michigan State with the mouth gets suspended uh, for kicking LeBron in the nads. They lost three to two. Then he was out the next game. So they tied up three to three. And then it goes to a seventh game. And Kyrie Irving, just like Ray Allen did against the Spurs in Miami, bails out LeBron's legacy by hitting the biggest shot of his career to win the NBA Finals. No doubt about it. I did want to mention one thing I forgot to mention uh, when we're talking about Brian Harson at Auburn. Obviously, Tracy Rocker 
leaves them, leaves Columbia in the middle of the night to head to Auburn and then leaves Auburn right after that. And we obviously mentioned his son, Kumar Rocker, is probably going to be the number one pick of the Pittsburgh Pirates in the Major League Baseball draft. And I love watching him pitch at Vanderbilt. All right, last thing for you, Cockfather. Falcons NFL draft. I got the pro football focus latest mock draft here. We got the Falcons trading out of the number four pick to the Carolina Panthers and the Panthers selecting Justin Fields at number four and the Falcons selecting Kyle Pitts at number eight. I love it. I said all along, okay, Matt Ryan is the face of that franchise. He has never had a defense, okay? Um, even the year they went to the Super Bowl, they were just finally, they were competent on defense. Nothing special, okay? If I'm Atlanta, I'm hoping the Jets, okay, after the Jaguars take uh, Goldilocks, number one, at two and three, I'm hoping those teams do not pick a quarterback. And they keep their pick. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Devontae Smith from Alabama. I mean, the Jets, they should pick that guy. I mean, you want to really help out your young quarterback, that's a, the kind of guy that can do it. And then Atlanta can get a king's ransom for the number four pick. Because they don't need to take a quarterback. Okay, I'm not sold on Zach Wilson. I'm not sold on Justin Fields. I'm not saying they're not going to be good NFL quarterbacks. I don't think they're going to be franchise NFL quarterbacks. And so I want to accumulate, you know, like I'm getting eight. I better be getting like a second and a third and next year's number one and maybe next year's number three. Uh and then I can really build my team because then I'm still picking number four in every round. And so I'm getting at the top of the second round, a guy that fell through the cracks that was projected to be a first rounder. And then the top of the third round, you get a guy that people give a second round grade to. And you're getting those other draft picks to double up and really beef up your defense, which is what Atlanta's got to do. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I agree with what you just said. The Jets at number two, I tweeted this out during the national championship game after Devontae Smith just scored a, another touchdown that he scored against Ohio State in that game that the Jets needed to hold on to Sam Darnold and draft Devontae Smith at number two. And I don't really understand why – Jamar Chase is consistently ahead of Devontae Smith in mock drafts. I mean, Jamar Chase sat out this year. He's not played. We have no idea what kind of football shape he's in. I mean, I know he'll, you know, have plenty of time to get back in football shape, but I just love Devontae Smith with that pick. And then I'm not really too high on Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. And I think that would be a great pickup for the Falcons at number eight if they can get some draft picks for number four and then take Kyle Pitts at number eight. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm either taking him or Patrick Sartain, okay? Hayden Hurst, I think he's going to flourish under uh, Matt Ryan. I mean, I think he's a better football player than Austin Hooper, who caught almost 100 passes and got a huge free agent deal uh, from the Cleveland Browns because of Matt Ryan. And, um, you know, Pitts, he's just the human mismatch. I mean, I I could see him going for him or, uh, you know, at number eight, possibly going for Micah Parsons, a linebacker from Penn State, or the the corner from Virginia Tech as well. I mean, Farley, uh, those would be the guys, you know, Pitts, uh, Farley, Sertain, I mean, and uh, Parsons. Those would be the guys I'd be targeting. If I'm if I'm the Falcons, and I trade back to number eight. One more question before I let you go: If a running back gets drafted in the first round, is it Najee Harris or Travis Etienne? I think it's Najee Harris, and I definitely think he's getting drafted in the first round. Um, I mean, look, NFL teams are probably smarter than Jacksonville. I mean, they drafted Fournette at number four. Uh, I'm not picking somebody that high, but I'm just telling you, I mean, there's another Alabama running back who's a little taller than Najee Harris who, uh, you know, has led the league in rushing the last two years uh, for the Tennessee Titans. And I think he's the closest thing uh, you know, since that guy's been in the league, I think he is a can't-miss big-time NFL running back. Now, I like Travis Etienne, too. I could see him going in the bottom of the first round, a really good team, because he's got size, he's got speed, and he's a guy that you can motion out of the backfield. Uh, he's really good. Uh, in the passing game, you saw Clemson, when you know their offensive line couldn't get the run game going, they just moved him out to uh, basically as a wide receiver to try to get him the football. And so I definitely think uh, ETN has an NFL skill set, but Najee Harris is just full on beast mode. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, he's everything you're looking for in the NFL running back. He's got size. He can block in pass protection. He can catch the football out of the backfield. He's just a – I mean, if if the body types were reversed and Travis Etienne was in Najee Harris's body and Harris was in Etienne's body, I think Etienne would definitely be the first running back taken. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. But, I mean, Harris is pretty good out of the backfield himself. He is, no doubt. Keith, you're the best, my friend. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media and how they can get access to the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. All right. Well, hey, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I mean, I don't know, you know, how, how I managed to get on the same show as uh, Mike Uva and Josh Pate, but uh, – you know, or a uh, Jacksonville Jaguars insider. So uh, I just feel uh, blessed uh, to be on the program. So you can follow me on Twitter at KAllSep. That's K-A-L-L-S-E-P. Or you can follow the podcast account at Gamecock Pod. 
That's Gamecock P-O-D. And uh, as far as the podcast, you can find it on my social media on the homepage. Uh, you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, backslash Locked on the Gamecocks. And Ben, if all else fails, there's this thing called Google. You can just Google it, and eventually that's your roadmap to get everywhere you need to go, and that'll get you to our homepage. We also have our uh, Worldwide Wednesday show, which goes out absolutely free of charge. I'm putting a link to our homepage on that now. And that's available on the Stitcher app, Google Play, iTunes. Uh, had a great show today with Michael LaNana of GoGamecocks.com and TheState.com talking about men's basketball. So, uh, again, many thanks to you. Best of luck on this endeavor. I know you're just slaying it, man. So, uh, uh, good luck to you. And, uh you know, pretty soon we'll have to be having you on uh, Locked on the Gamecocks podcast uh, and uh, co-promote because I'm all about uh, helping all my Gamecock brethren out there. No doubt. I'd definitely love to come on whenever you're willing to have me. And you are definitely up there with Josh Pate and John Shipley and Mike Yuba, my friend. Thank you so much, Keith. Stay safe and well, my friend. And We'll look forward to talking to you down the road. You got it. Spurs up, brother. All right. That was Keith Alsep, host of the Locked On the Gamecocks podcast. Make sure to follow Keith on Twitter at K-A-L-L-S-E-P and follow the Locked On the Gamecocks podcast on Twitter at GamecockPod. They push out some great content. Keith does an incredible job with that podcast. So if you are not a subscriber of the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. If you are a Gamecock fan, you are missing out and you need to subscribe today to the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. All right, it is time to get out of here. Can't thank you so much for listening. Make sure you spread the word. That's the fastest way for us to grow. Y'all are the best audience in the world. Follow me on Twitter at Shotgun726. Follow Crunch Time Plays on Twitter at Plays Crunch, and make sure if you're on Apple Podcast, you leave us a five-star review, and we'll be giving away some Crunch Time Plays swag for that. God bless everybody. I'm out of here.